but it's, it's part of what you do. Uh, I'm going to, we'll read Ruth chapter 1, and then I'll pray for us in our time together. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a chance to come and to worship you, Lord, to hear your word and to be Lord, transformed. Lord, it's how you work. You use your spirit uh, with your word to change us, to give us new eyes and to see new things and to begin to apply these things to our hearts, to make us into the kind of people that you want us to be, a people who know you, a people who love you, and and a people who are being changed to love the way you love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I would like to do is I want to give you a couple of introductory lines, and I want you to tell me where these introductions 
come from, okay? So you're allowed to answer. Uh, here's the first one. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Tale of Two Cities, very good. A long time ago, in a faraway galaxy, Star Wars. Okay, how about this? Like sands through the hourglass, so are... Shame on all of you. Who knew that? Kids, how about this, kids? Sunny day, sweeping the clouds away, on my way to where the air is sweet. Where's it from? Sesame Street, that's right. That's right. These, these lines, you can hear the beginning of an introduction and you know what is about to follow. The same thing is true here in the book of Ruth. We come to the very first line and it says, In the days when the judges ruled. The days when the judges ruled were a very dark time in the history of Israel. And so if you had never read the book of Ruth, but you knew anything about the judges, you know when it says, in the days when the judges ruled, what's about to follow is going to be dark and depressing and, and discouraging. Ruth 1 is framed quite nicely between these two phrases. Uh, the first phrase, in the days when the judges ruled, and the last phrase at the end of the first chapter of Ruth, as the barley harvest was beginning. The first phrase is very ominous. The second phrase is filled with hope. Uh, the first phrase is like a dark rain cloud that's about to burst forth with rain. The last phrase at the end of this chapter is the sun that's about to come out behind the clouds. This is how chapter 1 of Ruth is framed. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at three things to start with. A widowed wife, continual strife, and a redeemed life. A widowed wife, continual strife, and a redeemed life. The widowed wife. The book of Ruth begins with a famine here in Bethlehem. And we see that there's a man named Elimelech. And he's got a really cool name. Elimelech means, my God is king. But Elimelech's God seems to be absent because now there is a drought. And so they bail and they head to Moab. Now, if you know anything about Moab, it's, the Bible talks about Moab. Israel, the people of God, have a long history that goes back with Moab. And it's not a good history. Moab has been an enemy to Israel for many years. But now Elimelech is taking his family there. Elimelech is married to a woman named Naomi. And then they have two boys, Malon and Kilian. And while they are there living in Moab, the two boys get married to two women, Orpah and Ruth. And then tragedy strikes and strikes and strikes again. Elimelech dies. Naomi is now without a husband. Malon and Kilian die over the next ten years. Naomi is now without sons. So Naomi is without a family. She's in a foreign land. And she has no hope. And so her life was one of continual strife. Filled with pain and mixed with anger and directed at God. And so she hears now that the Lord has come to the aid of her people. That the drought is over. And so this broken woman, no husband, no sons in a foreign land, is now ready to return back to Bethlehem. And her faithful daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, are ready to follow. But she knows that it would be very foolish for Orpah and Ruth to follow. Look at verses 8 and 9. 
Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them. But they respond, No, we're going to go with you, Naomi. And then she can't hold it in anymore. It just bottles up, it boils over, and then she explodes. And this is what she says in verse 11. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And Naomi says to, these, to her daughters-in-law, you would be so foolish to come home with me. Don't you understand that my life is over? That I can't have any more sons? That I'm too old? And because I can't have any more sons, nobody's going to marry me. Because I can't have children. And because I I can't have children and I can't get married, nobody is going to take care of me. I have nothing to offer you. But even if I did have a son this very night, even if I did get married, would you wait for this son? Of course not. Go home because you have your family in Moab. Go home because you can still be married Go home because you can have children one day. Go home because you can still have a life. But for Naomi, her life was over. Elimelech, her dead husband, had forfeited the land that they owned in Israel. Of course, she had no money now to buy back that land. There was obviously no life insurance policy. She was never going to get married again. She would have no children. She had no savings You need to understand that here in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, Naomi is homeless and she's hopeless. And she knows why. Because look at the end of verse 13. She says, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand, it's the Lord's hand that has put me in this position. And then if you go down a little bit farther down to verse 20 and 21, it's even stated more clearly as she returns back to Bethlehem. And she says says this in four different ways. She says, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara. Because one, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Two, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Three, the Lord has afflicted me. Four, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. In April, there was a seven-year-old boy who was wandering around in the airport in Moscow, Russia. And he looked like he was lost and confused. And so airport security walked up to this little boy and they tried to talk to him and ask him what he was doing there, where his parents were. And he wasn't speaking. He wasn't responding at all. So they began to look through his things to figure out how he got there. And as they found his itinerary, they realized that he had flown from Nashville, Tennessee, to Washington, D.C., and from Washington, D.C., all the way to Moscow by himself. And as they searched a little bit more, they found a note in his pocket. And this is what the note said. 
and it was from his adopted mother. I would like this adoption to be disannulled. I no longer wish to parent this child. In other words, I don't love my son anymore. For Naomi, her life had become bitter. Her husband was dead. Her two sons were dead. She was living in a place that was not her home. And it seemed now that she was dead to her God, unwanted and disowned. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like that? That God must not want you anymore. Because it makes sense. When you do the math, when you take painful trials in my life, and then you add it to a belief like Naomi had that God is sovereign, the only answer you can come up with is that God no longer is with me or for me. And that's exactly where Naomi is. And maybe it's where you are. Maybe these words, the Lord's hand has gone out against me, hit home a little too close right now. The story of the book of Ruth is that Naomi's life was not over yet. And in fact, God had never been more present in her life than he was right now. What we see then is a redeemed life. A redeemed life. Uh, The obvious question is, where is God in all of this? At the end of chapter 1, there's this sign of hope as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, the barley harvest was the first harvest of spring. After a period when the ground had been dead, now there was new life. After after a season of of no life, there was a season now of new life. And chapters 2, 3, and 4 tell us about God's powerful, redeeming presence in Naomi's life. But that still doesn't answer the question, where was God during those 10 years in Naomi's life? When everything was falling apart. And if we read this chapter carefully, we can see that God was with Naomi the whole time. Go back to verse 16 and 17. These words are unbelievable here. Ruth replies to Naomi when Naomi is asking Ruth to go back home. Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. These words are unbelievable because they show great commitment, sacrifice, and love. But not only that, these words are unbelievable because they're coming from a Moabite. It's Ruth who is speaking these words. These are not coming from an Israelite, but these are the very words of God. These are the words from the God of Israel. And these are the words that Ruth has heard from Naomi. When Naomi begins to recount her God and the God who has delivered a people out of Egypt, into a promised land, when she begins to recount the loving presence and the promises of God, it's Ruth now who is taking those very words that she learned from Naomi and she's beginning to repeat them back. She's beginning to repeat them back to Naomi. And she's quoting from the Old Testament, from Exodus 
6, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And right before this, two chapters before this in Genesis chapter 15, God walks through and makes a promise. He walks through animals that have been killed and cut in half. He comes through as a smoking fire pot and God is making a promise to Abraham saying, if I ever break my promise to be a God to you, may I become as one of these animals are dead. And it's Ruth who is taking these promises and these words of God and now repeating them to Naomi. And she's beginning to hear these words. And Ruth is reminding Naomi of these promises of God because she is the one who is fulfilling the promise of God in Naomi's life. You ask the question, was God present in Naomi's life during this dark time? The answer is yes. How was he present in Ruth's life? In Ruth's life into Naomi's life. In this dark period of history, in this dark period of Naomi's life, God is bringing redemption out of brokenness. Now what does this mean for us? This first chapter of Ruth. I want to look at three things. And so I want to get real practical. I want to take what we've just talked about, and I want to start to apply it to our lives, to see how the Word of God begins to apply and and take hold. The first thing that this means is the redemption of God flows through the people of God. This is how it always works in the Scriptures. The redemption of God is always flowing through the people of God. Maybe you've heard this, maybe you've said this before, but sometimes you hear people say, my relationship with God is private. My relationship with God is personal. It's not. Biblically speaking, it's not private and it's not personal. Your relationship with God is meant for public consumption. It is for the world because the redemption of God comes down and flows through the people of God. It's how it always works in the scriptures. The redemption of Naomi is taking place through Ruth of all people. And so when you think about the ways that God has worked in your life, When you think about the stories of how God has worked in your life, as you hear stories, people coming up week after week and sharing their testimony, what's always involved? A person or people who are involved. It's like that. Maybe you've heard this old story or this old illustration. It's the man who's out in the ocean. And he's out there and his boat begins to sink. So he holds on to the life preserver and he's holding on for dear life. And out of desperation, finally, he says, he says, God, will you come and save me? And then two hours later, there's a couple that come out in a rowboat and they see the man on the life on the life preserver just hanging on there. And they say, can we help you? And the man says, thanks, but no thanks. I'm waiting for God to save me. And then two hours later, you've got the power boat with the four big fishermen coming by. And they stop. They see the man. They stop. And they say, can we help you? And the man says, thanks, but no thanks. I'm waiting for God to save me. And then a couple hours later, the Coast Guard comes by in the helicopter. And they drop the ladder down. And over the megaphone, they say, do you need a hand? And he looks back up. He says, thanks, but no thanks. I'm waiting for God to save me. And of course, the point of this is that God was there saving him. 
The redemption of God flows through the people of God. It's how it always works in the scriptures. God is redeeming and he's restoring this world. And the way that he's doing it is through the church, through you, through the people. And so that's why Christianity, it's not private. It's not me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and now the world. And so what does that mean for Jacob's well? It means this isn't just for you. What you're talking about, what you're doing is for all of Green Bay. What you're doing is not just for the salvation of souls. It's not less than that, but it's for broken, hurting people who are suffering in a broken world that's caused by sin. People who were just like that here in Green Bay. It's the redemption of God, the beautiful mercy, redeeming God who is bringing power into this world through his people. So the redemption of God flows through the people of God. Four years ago, there was a a 38-year-old man named Keith Perkins. And he had a shot at redemption. He had a chance for redemption. His son, his teenage son was dying. His kidneys were failing. And he didn't have much longer. And Keith Perkins was the perfect match for his son to give him his kidney. So his son might live. But there was only one problem. Is that Keith Perkins was in prison. He had been arrested and in prison for drug trafficking. But now he had a shot at redemption. To do something right. To do something selfless. And so so they temporarily released him from prison. To go to the hospital. So he could give his kidney to his son. But Keith Perkins fled the hospital. Then he fled the state. Then he fled the country. And he left his son to die. And redemption. Why is it so beautiful? Why do we love to see it in movies? Why do we love to hear stories of it? Because it's so rare. Because it's just not happening all that much. Because it's costly. And this is why Christianity is so powerful, because we have a God who looks to our needs and he sends his son and it's redemption and it's beautiful and it's rare. And we see this taking place in Naomi's life. And what we see it is we see it in the form of conversion, excuse me, in Ruth's life. Ruth has been converted here. Something has happened to Ruth that she has been changed. She is a different person. Person. And redemption in a, person's, in a person's life is them coming into a right relationship with God. And we see this in Ruth. You cannot be a Christian unless you've been converted. It's the way of the scriptures. You have to be converted. There is a conversion that takes place, a change that takes place for you to enter into the kingdom of God, for you to become a Christian. And the way it works is it begins with your mind. And so you have an understanding of of the Christian message of God sending his son into the world to pursue you to the cross, to pay for your sins on the cross. And so the first step is you hear it and you say, I understand what you're saying. But that's not enough. That's where it stops sometimes for some people. They say, "I, I know the message. Sure, I believe that there was a Jesus, but there's so much more because then it moves from your head to your heart. And so it begins to convict you. You begin to say, not only do I know it's true, but I feel like it's true. I I see it. I think about it. 
It's weighty to me. It's significant and begins to, to work into your heart. But, it, but it's not enough there to even just feel sort of the grace or the mercy of Jesus. But the way it works itself out is you understand, you're convicted by it, and then you commit to it. And it, and it goes from your head to your heart and through your hands and your feet. And you say, not only do I believe this is true, not only am I convicted through the heart, but I'm committing myself to this God. I am saying that this is the one thing that's true in this world, that God loves me so much that he sent his son into this world. And then you begin to cleave to this God. And this is what we see here with Ruth. She's beginning to cleave to this God. You realize for Ruth to leave Moab, she is leaving everything behind. Her security, her family, everything is safe and secure. Even her God's behind. For her to go with Naomi is of great sacrifice. Leaving God's, leaving financial security, going into a place that is not secure, but where there are people who worship and know God. Where there are people who go and celebrate this God who is a great God of redemption, who has delivered them all throughout the history. And Ruth is saying, that's real. And that's meaningful. And that's purpose in life. And I will follow that, even at great cost. And she's losing her life to do so. She's losing her life to be a friend to Naomi. That's the last thing is friendship here. We see the importance and power of friendship. It is prominent and it's unmistakable in this, in this passage. There are acquaintances in life and there are friends in life. An acquaintance is, is somebody that you know. They're your Facebook friends. Uh, they're the kinds of people who when you have something going on in your life, they say, call me if you need anything. We've got lots of acquaintances. But a friend is someone who when they see something going on in your life and there's a need and there's a struggle, they don't say, give me a call. They show up. We have few people like that in our lives. Especially true with men. There are few people that we have this kind of friendship but where we can share burdens, where we can be honest. Tim Keller says, this is who a friend is. A friend is somebody who always lets you in and who never lets you down. Always lets you in, never lets you down. It's so hard to be a friend because it comes at cost. Always lets you in. A friend is somebody who just lets you know what's going on with their life. A friend is somebody who is just honest. This is who I am and this is what's going on with my life. And a friend is somebody who never lets you down. I will be there at cost to my own self. That's why we have so few friends. But we see this friendship here. Naomi explodes and she unloads. And she just says, my life is ruined. I have nothing. You would be a fool to go with me because my life is over. And she just tells Ruth everything. But then Ruth says, I will go with you. I will be with you. And I will never leave you. And we see this beautiful friendship. But why is it so hard to be this kind of friend? Part of the reason that it's so hard to be this kind of friend is that we're not about to let anybody into our lives. Why? Because if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. If you knew all about me, you wouldn't want to be my friend. If you knew the things I thought, if you knew the things I wrestled with, if you knew the things that I've done, you would not want to be my friend. And so it's just safer 
to hold people at a distance. But, but here's the beauty here, and this is what Ruth and Naomi are learning, is that the God of the universe who knows every detail about your life, every past event, every thought that you ever had, looks at you and says, I still want you. I still love you because of Jesus. And so when we begin to have that soak into our souls and into our hearts, that we are laid open before God and he loves us, then we can start to be that kind of friend because we're safe and we're secure in Christ. That we can begin to be honest and have real relationships and then begin to even sacrifice. In the same way that we see Ruth. You see, Naomi had lost her life. And so for Naomi to have a life, Ruth would have to give her life up. Naomi had lost her life, and for Naomi to ever have a life, Ruth would have to give her life up. You see what Ruth 1 is pointing us to. It's pointing us to Jesus. It's pointing us to our story. For us to ever have a life, Jesus would have to give his life up for us. This is the Christian message here. In order that we might be his friend, in order that we might have life, Jesus sent from Father, the Father, into this world to pay for our sins, to make us right with God so that we can have eternal friendship. And just like Keith Perkins, the 38-year-old imprisoned father, God did not spare his son either. But God gave up his own son to die so that we might live in friendship with God and then with the world because it's the redemption of God that flows through the people of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the beauty of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus who has loved us more than he should have loved us. And at great cost came to die for our sins. So thank you that we know what it means. And we now know what it could be to be a friend. And Lord, I pray that you would use us, Lord, to bring redemption into this world. But not only that, to also experience redemption in this world. Because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.